0: Passion for God, and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxis. All right, we are, as a church, we are gonna be picking up this morning our message in 2 Samuel. Uh, last time we were in 2 Samuel was the month of May. And up to this point, we've seen in the book of 2 Samuel, sort of the theme has been called the rise of David. David becomes king, and everything really goes well for David as king. It's like, you know, he's making good choices. There's revival in the land. The nation of Israel is getting bigger. It's getting better. Things are going really well. It's very different than 1 Samuel. First Samuel, remember, it's called David on the Run. It's like David the Fugitive movie. He's always running when Saul is chasing him. But Second Samuel, so far, so good. Everything is going up. When we last left off the story, we were in Second Samuel chapter 10. At that time, THE AMMONITES AND THE SYRIANS, WHO WERE LOCATED ABOUT 40 MILES EAST OF JERUSALEM, HAD JOINED FORCES, AND RATHER THAN SUBMITTING TO DAVID AS A KING, THEY HAD SET THEMSELVES UP IN OPPOSITION TO DAVID AS A KING. Uh, DAVID HAD SENT JOAB, THE COMMANDER OF THE ARMY, WITH SOME SOLDIERS OUT TO to FIGHT THOSE GUYS. Uh, ONCE AGAIN, LIKE USUAL, JOAB AND and HIS ARMY DID REALLY WELL, SORT OF DISSIPATED THEM. THE AMMONITES RETREATED INTO THEIR CAPITAL CITY, A CITY CALLED Rabbah. AND THEN WINTER SET IN, and, AND NOBODY'S INTO, LIKE, KILLING EACH OTHER WHEN THERE'S SNOW AND ICE OUT. SO, like, LIKE, WE'LL JUST WAIT till SPRING AND PICK THIS THING UP. EVERYBODY WENT HOME. AND WE'RE GOING TO EXPECT THAT WHEN WE TURN THE PAGE FROM 2 SAMUEL CHAPTER TEN, AND WE PICK UP 2 SAMUEL 11 TODAY, IT'S GOING TO BE MORE OF THE SAME. DAVID CONQUERING ANOTHER KINGDOM, DAVID'S EMPIRE EXPANDING, THINGS GOING SUPER WELL, BUT... THAT IS NOT WHAT WE FIND. WE TURN THE PAGE, AND ALL OF A SUDDEN WE FIND DAVID, AT THE PINNACLE OF HIS POWER, AT THE HEIGHT OF HIS INFLUENCE, WHEN HE'S AT HIS BEST MOMENT OF SUCCESS, GETS CAUGHT UP IN AN AFFAIR, AND THEN TO COVER HIS AFFAIR, HE MURDERS THE WOMAN'S HUSBAND. IT'S HEADING IN A COMPLETELY DIFFERENT DIRECTION. IN FACT, After 2 Samuel chapter 11, it's no longer the rise of David, it's called the fall of David. Everything seems to go downhill from there. And I think I'd like to point this out. Up to this point, David has been like this wonderful hero that everybody idolizes. Maybe we even find ourselves idolizing him. But the truth is, he's just a man like everybody else. HE'S A FALLEN MAN LIKE EVERYBODY ELSE. HE'S NOT IMPERVIOUS TO SIN. HE FALLS INTO SIN. THE OTHER THING I'D LIKE TO POINT OUT IS WE MAY THINK THAT THIS AFFAIR JUST COMES OUT OF NOWHERE IN HIS LIFE. THAT'S NOT TRUE. THIS AFFAIR, IF YOU'VE BEEN READING WITH US AND WATCHING CLOSELY, IS ACTUALLY FORECAST EARLIER IN HIS LIFE. IF YOU... Um, WANT TO THINK ABOUT THIS, HOW YOU CAN KNOW THAT THIS IS FORECAST EARLIER. KNOW THAT WE have DID THIS IN EARLIER STUDIES. WE LOOKED AT THE DEUTERONOMIC COMMANDS FOR HOW ISRAELITES' KINGS WERE TO BE DIFFERENT. HOW THEY WERE TO BE UNIQUE AND NOT LIKE THE OTHER KINGS AROUND THEM. ONE OF THE THINGS WE SAW IN DEUTERONOMY, IS THAT ISRAEL'S KINGS WERE NOT TO TRUST IN HORSES AND CHARIOTS. REMEMBER, THEY WEREN'T SUPPOSED TO BUILD UP A WHOLE BUNCH OF MILITARY HARDWARE, HORSES AND CHARIOTS, AND TRUST IN THAT FOR THEIR NATIONAL SECURITY. THEY WERE TO BE A SET OF FOOT SOLDIERS THAT TRUSTED IN GOD FOR THEIR SECURITY. AND FOR THE MOST PART, DAVID HAS OBEYED THAT, AND GOD HAS GIVEN HIM GREAT VICTORIES OVER THE PHILISTINES AND OTHERS WITH REALLY A LARGE MECHANIZED ARMY. GOD HAS BEEN FAITHFUL AND PROTECTED AND PROVIDED FOR HIS PEOPLE. BUT THERE IS ONE PARTICULAR COMMAND IN THE DEUTERONOMIC REGULATIONS THAT DAVID SEEMS TO HAVE IGNORED. HE THOUGHT IT WASN'T THAT IMPORTANT. AND IT'S THE ONE THAT HAS TO DO WITH A KING TAKING MULTIPLE WIVES. LOOK WHAT IT SAYS. DEUTERONOMY 17:17. 17, 17. HE SHALL NOT ACQUIRE MANY WIVES FOR HIMSELF, LEST HIS HEART TURN AWAY. ISRAEL'S KINGS WERE NOT TO BE INVOLVED IN POLYGAMY, BUT TO BE REALLY CLOSE TO BEING MEN WITH MONOGAMY. BUT DAVID just think, THOUGHT THAT ONE COULD SORT OF GO BY THE WAYSIDE. AND WE SEE THAT IN THE EARLIER PARTS OF 2 SAMUEL. FOR INSTANCE, 2 SAMUEL chapter 3, VERSE 1, DAVID GREW STRONGER, BUT THE HOUSE OF SAUL GREW WEAKER. BUT THEN ALL OF A SUDDEN WE SEE THIS IN VERSES 2-5 through 5 OF THE 3RD CHAPTER, WHAT'S CALLED A HAREM REPORT the story of david taking multiple wives then you go a little further second samuel chapter 5 verses 10 through 12 which sort of summarizes the fact that david's power grows and god strengthens him he gets better but then what else breaks in another harem report second samuel chapter 5 13 through 16 the story of david taking even more wives then we go to where we were most recently. 2nd Samuel chapters 8 through 10. It's the story of David's empire expanding. And we would expect then to follow another harem report with him taking more wives. But what follows in 2nd Samuel chapter 11 is not the story of David taking more wives. It's the story of David taking somebody else's wife. And I, I THINK THIS IS PRETTY IMPORTANT. WE FIND THAT DAVID IN HIS EARLIER YEARS HAS NOT LEARNED TO SEXUALLY RESTRAIN HIMSELF. HE HAS PRACTICED SEXUALLY INDULGING HIMSELF. ANY SINGLE, ATTRACTIVE YOUNG WOMEN WHO CAME INTO HIS ORBIT, HE MARRIED AND TOOK AS HIS WIFE. THE PROBLEM IS, SINCE HE HAS NOT LEARNED TO SEXUALLY RESTRAIN HIMSELF IN HIS YOUNGER YEARS, WHEN THE WOMAN BATHSHEBA COMES INTO HIS LIFE, HE DOESN'T RESTRAIN HIMSELF IN HIS MIDDLE YEARS. HE INDULGES HIMSELF WITH SOMEBODY ELSE'S WIFE. HERE IS A GREAT POINT OF APPLICATION, I PUT IT RIGHT IN YOUR ABOUT LINE FOR YOU. WHEN IT COMES TO SIGNIFICANT FAILURES IN THE MIDDLE OF LIFE, THEY USUALLY GROW OUT OF THE SMALLER SINS WE HAVE NURTURED EARLIER IN LIFE. ISN'T THAT TRUE? THAT'S WHAT DAVID HAS BEEN DOING WITH WOMEN. BY THE WAY, IT DOESN'T JUST APPLY TO DAVID, IT APPLIES TO US. IF YOU'RE SOMEBODY WHO IS COMFORTABLE FLIRTING WITH PEOPLE OF THE OPPOSITE SEX WHEN YOU'RE AROUND THE OFFICE IN YOUR YOUNGER YEARS, CHANCES ARE IT'S GOING TO BE SOMETHING FAR MORE THAN FLIRTING IN YOUR MIDDLE YEARS. IF YOU'RE SOMEBODY WHO IN YOUR YOUNGER YEARS SORT OF CONTENTS YOURSELF WITH LOOKING AT THINGS ON THE INTERNET THAT YOU SHOULDN'T BE LOOKING AT, softcore PORN AND THE LIKE, BY THE TIME YOU GET TO YOUR MIDDLE YEARS, IT'LL BE A LOT MORE SIGNIFICANT AND FAR MORE WORSE, FAR WORSE. IF YOU'RE SOMEBODY WHO'S ALLOWED YOURSELF TO SAY, WELL, I CAN GET DRUNK AS LONG AS IT'S JUST ON FRIDAY NIGHT WHEN I'M IN MY 20s, BY THE TIME YOU'RE IN YOUR 40s AND 50s, YOU'LL BE DRUNK, BUT IT'LL BE EVERY NIGHT, NOT JUST ON FRIDAY NIGHT. SO THE SINS, THE LITTLE SINS THAT WE TOLERATE, THE LITTLE SINS WE NURTURE IN OUR YOUNGER YEARS BECOME THE BIGGER ONES THAT JUST DEVASTATE US AND KILL US IN OUR MIDDLE YEARS. THAT'S WHAT'S GOING ON WITH DAVID. NOW, AS WE WALK THROUGH THIS CHAPTER, I'M GOING TO BREAK IT APART UNDER THREE HEADINGS. FIRST, WE'RE GOING TO LOOK AT THE AFFAIR. THEN WE'RE GOING TO LOOK AT THE COVER-UP. And then we're going to look at the final cover up, which is murder. Let's begin. Number one, the affair. As we said, 2 Samuel chapter 10, what had happened there is the Ammonites and the Syrians had allied themselves against David and Israel. Rather than submitting to David as king, they opposed David as king. WE SAW EARLIER THAT DAVID SENT JOAB AND THE ARMY TO FIGHT THEM, MORE OF A DEFENSIVE MANEUVER. JOAB DEFEATED THEM. THE AMMONITES WENT BACK INTO THEIR CITY. REMEMBER, IN WINTER CAME. BUT THEN WE READ THIS AS WE TURN THE PAGE. IN THE SPRING OF THE YEAR... AH, TIME TO PICK THIS UP IN THE SPRING. THE TIME WHEN KINGS GO OUT TO BATTLE. DAVID SENT JOAB AND HIS SERVANTS WITH HIM AND ALL ISRAEL. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It's spring, it's warming up, it's time to continue the war. David sends Joab back, David sends the soldiers back, but notice he also sends back, it says, all Israel. This is a general call to war. FOR ALL THE MEN IN THE NATION TO JOIN JOAB IN FIGHTING THE AMMONITES AND FINISHING THEM OFF. SO THIS LEAVES IN THE CITY OF JERUSALEM NOTHING BUT THE WOMEN. INTERESTING THOUGHT. IT'S ALSO STRANGE THAT DAVID, INSTEAD OF GOING TO WAR, DAVID REMAINED IN JERUSALEM AT THAT TIME. IN FACT, WHEN IT SAYS HERE, BUT DAVID REMAINED IN JERUSALEM, THE HEBREW IS INTERESTING, BECAUSE THE HEBREW IN BUT DAVID IS IN THE EMPHATIC TENSE. TO DRAW OUR ATTENTION TO THIS, THIS IS SIGNIFICANT. IT'S THE TIME WHEN KINGS ARE TO GO TO WAR, BUT DAVID IS NOT DOING HIS JOB. DAVID IS STAYING IN JERUSALEM. A CITY FILLED WITH LONELY WOMEN, BECAUSE ALL OF THEIR HUSBANDS HAD GONE TO WAR. PROBABLY NOT A GOOD CHOICE FOR A MAN WHO'S STRUGGLING WITH A LUST PROBLEM. WOULDN'T YOU SAY? LIKE A REAL BAD SETUP ON THIS ONE. THE TEXT ALSO SAYS THAT DAVID REMAINED IN JERUSALEM. THE WORD REMAINED IN THE HEBREW COULD BE LITERALLY TRANSLATED, BUT DAVID WAS SITTING IN JERUSALEM. THE IMPLICATION IS WHEN HE'S STAYING IN JERUSALEM, IT'S NOT BECAUSE HE HAS SO MUCH WORK TO DO AND HE CAN'T GET AWAY FROM THE OFFICE. HE REMAINS IN JERUSALEM WITH ABSOLUTELY NOTHING TO DO. TOO MUCH FREE TIME ON HIS HANDS. AT THIS POINT, THE REASON DAVID DID NOT GO TO WAR IS BECAUSE HE'S LAZY, BECAUSE HE'S SELF-INDULGENT, AND QUITE HONESTLY, HE IS NEGLECTING HIS JOB TO LEAD HIS ARMIES AS THEIR KING. HERE'S THE FIRST THING WE CAN LEARN. THE WAY THAT DAVID SET HIMSELF UP FOR FAILURE IS HE WAS NOT BUSY AT WORK. SINS OF OMISSION OFTEN precede SINS OF COMMISSION. So omission is failing to do what is right, leaves a lot of opportunity to eventually do what is then intentionally wrong. When David is not busy doing his job, leading his nation, leading the army like he should be, he happens to find a lot of extra free time during which the devil can distract him and during which time the devil can tempt him. AND I THINK THIS IS A GOOD APPLICATION FOR US RIGHT UP FRONT. HOW CAN WE AVOID AN AFFAIR? HOW CAN WE AVOID FALLING INTO these kind of tra- THIS KIND OF TRAP THAT DAVID DID? I THINK THE FIRST THING RIGHT UP THE WAY IS BE BUSY AT WORK. BE FOCUSED AT WORK. BECAUSE WHEN YOU'RE FOCUSED ON DOING THE WORK THAT YOU'RE SUPPOSED TO BE DOING, YOU HAVE LESS TIME TO BE DISTRACTED INTO WORK YOU SHOULD NOT BE DOING. VERY TRUE. JUST REAL SIMPLE. And by the way, the work that we are called to do is not just our general form of employment, but if you are a married man or you are a married woman, your work includes loving, pursuing, cherishing, and spending time with your own spouse. And if you're spending enough time with your own spouse, you're far less likely to be distracted by somebody else's spouse. Now, David, he has plenty of wives, doesn't he? He has more than his fair share at this point. We've seen the harem report. But apparently, he's not spending a lot of time pursuing them. So he finds extra time to pursue somebody who is not his wife at all. And then it begins with this in chapter verse 2. It happened. Late one afternoon... When David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. Uh, Notice the contrast here. Joab and the soldiers, they're involved in a life or death struggle in war. What is David? Getting up from his afternoon nap on the couch walking on the roof of his house because he doesn't know what else to do with himself. He's got nothing better to do. You see the contrast here? Too much free time on his hand where he should be really busy with Joab and the rest. Now, incidentally, it's... A FROM THIS TEXT, THAT DAVID'S HOUSE WOULD HAVE PROBABLY BEEN ONE OF THE TALLEST HOUSES, IF NOT THE TALLEST HOUSE IN JERUSALEM. AND HE'S WALKING AROUND ON THE TOP OF HIS ROOF, SO WE CAN LOOK OVER THE EDGE OF HIS BALCONY, SO HE CAN SEE THE OTHER HOUSES BELOW HIM, HE CAN SEE THE OTHER ROOFS, r- <laughs> roofs BELOW HIM. SO WHILE DAVID IS SAFE FROM THE AMMONITES IN JERUSALEM, WHAT HE'S NOT SAFE FROM IN JERUSALEM IS HIS OWN SEXUAL DESIRES AND HIS DESIRE FOR SEXUAL SIN. AND THE FACT THAT HE'S NEVER LEARNED TO RESTRAIN HIMSELF IN THIS AREA. AND THEN IT HAPPENS. HE SAW FROM THE ROOF A WOMAN BATHING, AND THE WOMAN WAS VERY BEAUTIFUL. SO HE'S HANGING OUT OVER HIS BALCONY, AND THERE HE SEES, NOT TOO FAR FROM HIM, ON THE ROOF OF ANOTHER HOUSE, A WOMAN BATHING. WHICH BY THE WAY MEANS SHE'S A COMPLETELY NAKED WOMAN THAT IS bathing. THE HEBREW IS INTERESTING. IT SAYS SHE WAS VERY BEAUTIFUL. MAYBE A BETTER TRANSLATION OF THE HEBREW IS, SHE WAS VERY, 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 VERY BEAUTIFUL. SHE WAS A COMPLETE KNOCKOUT. SHE WAS COMPLETELY NAKED AND SHE'S SHIMMERING IN WATER. NOW, UP TO THIS POINT, DAVID HAS MADE UNWISE DECISIONS BY NOT GOING TO WORK LIKE HE SHOULD BE DOING, BUT HE HAS NOT MADE OVERTLY SINFUL DECISIONS. HERE IS WHERE THE SINFUL DECISIONS BEGIN. WHAT HE SHOULD DO AS SOON AS HE SEES HER IS TURN AWAY AND NOT LOOK AT HER, BUT THAT'S NOT WHAT HE DOES. HE LOOKS, HE WATCHES, HE KEEPS LOOKING, HE STARTS IMAGINING, HE STARTS DAYDREAMING, AND THE LONGER HE LOOKED AT HER, THE MORE HE FOUND HIMSELF PASSIONATELY WANTING HER. MEN, LET ME TELL YOU, WE MUST LEARN AS MEN TO BOUNCE OUR EYES. YOU EVER HEARD ME USE THAT TERM? I'VE USED IT HERE BEFORE. THIS IS WHAT IT MEANS. WHEN YOU SEE SOMEONE ATTRACTIVE OF THE OPPOSITE SEX, THAT YOU FIND YOURSELF QUICKLY DRAWN TO. I DON'T KNOW IF THAT CARES IF THAT PERSON'S IN A MAGAZINE, OR ON A BILLBOARD, OR IF IT'S ON A SCREEN THAT COMES ACROSS YOUR PHONE, OR IF IT COMES ACROSS YOUR DESKTOP COMPUTER. WHAT YOU HAVE TO DO IS IMMEDIATELY LOOK AWAY. NOT TO BEGIN TO LOOK AT IT, NOT TO BEGIN TO THINK ON IT, NOT TO BEGIN TO DRINK IT IN, BECAUSE IT WILL DRAW YOU IN. and THE PULL WILL BECOME STRONGER AND STRONGER. HERE'S A VERSE I THINK IS WORTH MEMORIZING FOR MEN ESPECIALLY IF THEY HAVEN'T MEMORIZED IT. IT'S FROM JOB. IT'S THIS, I HAVE MADE A COVENANT WITH MY EYES. HOW THEN COULD I GAZE AT A VIRGIN? JOB SAYS, MY COVENANT WITH MY EYES, AS SOON AS I SEE SOMEBODY THAT I SHOULD NOT BE LOOKING AT, AND I BOUNCE MY EYES, I LOOK AWAY. I'M NOT GOING TO GO THERE, BECAUSE I DON'T WANT TO BE DRAWN INTO SIN. I think the best example of the proper response to this comes from Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Now, Potiphar's wife tried to get Joseph to come to bed with him. By the way, I'm just going to make a little guess here. I think she was probably a very beautiful woman, and I don't think she was wearing a snowsuit when she was trying to seduce him. I THINK SHE WAS PROBABLY DRESSED IN A VERY ATTRACTIVE WAY. BUT WHAT DID JOSEPH DO WHEN HE REALIZED, HEY, IF I START TO STARE AT THIS WOMAN, I COULD TALK MYSELF INTO THIS WOMAN, HE IMMEDIATELY, LITERALLY, PHYSICALLY RAN, GOT HIMSELF OUT OF THAT SITUATION. PAUL SAYS THE SAME THING TO YOUNG TIMOTHY. TIMOTHY, HE SAYS, FLEE YOUTHFUL PASSIONS. YOU FIND YOURSELF BEING TEMPTED IN A WAY THAT YOU KNOW THIS CAN'T GO ANY FURTHER, RUN, AND RUN AS FAST AS YOU CAN. But David doesn't do that, does he? He looks, he longs, he dreams, he's not learned to sexually deny himself, he's practiced sexually indulging himself, and this is what happens. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David. Rather than turning away, he decides to do a little research operation so we could learn more about this woman. And these are the things he learns. First of all, her name was Bathsheba, but she's related to these other folks. And here's where it's interesting she was the daughter of Eliam. Who is Eliam? He's one of David's mighty men, which are the top 37 in the army. She's not just any lady. She's the daughter of one of his best soldiers. Incidentally, it doesn't say it here, but she's also the granddaughter of a man named Ahithophel. Ahithophel and Hushai are his two closest counselors the daughter and the granddaughter of two very important men to his kingdom. Not only that, BUT SHE'S THE WIFE OF URIAH, WHO, BY THE WAY, IS ALSO ONE OF THE MIGHTY MEN, THE TOP 37 MEN IN THE ARMY. DAVID, THIS SHOULD TELL YOU, HANDS OFF. GET AWAY FROM THIS LADY. SHE'S ALREADY MARRIED. THE BIBLE ADDRESSES THIS. EXODUS 20, VERSE 17, YOU SHALL NOT COVET YOUR NEIGHBOR'S WIFE. WELL, HE'S BUSY DOING THAT ONE, THAT'S FOR SURE. EXODUS 20, VERSE 14, YOU SHALL NOT COMMIT ADULTERY. NEXT STEP, DAVID, IS GOING TO BE CALLED ADULTERY. YOU'RE PURSUING YOUR NEIGHBOR'S WIFE. HEBREWS 13, VERSE 4 SAYS THIS, LET MARRIAGE BE HELD IN HONOR AMONG ALL. LET THE MARRIAGE BED BE UNDEFILED, FOR GOD WILL JUDGE THE SEXUALLY IMMORAL AND THE ADULTEROUS. DAVID, DO NOT CROSS THIS LINE. SHOULDN'T DO THIS WITH ANY LADY, BUT ESPECIALLY WITH THIS LADY, ANOTHER MAN'S WIFE. BUT THEN WE READ, SO DAVID SENT MESSENGERS AND TOOK HER, AND SHE CAME TO HIM, AND HE LAY WITH HER. THEN SHE RETURNED TO HER HOUSE. DAVID SENT MORE MESSENGERS, NOT TO INQUIRE MORE INFORMATION ABOUT HER, BUT TO HAVE HER COME TO HIS HOME. IT SAYS, DAVID TOOK HER. WHEN YOU READ THAT, THERE'S A SIDE TO SAY, well, this, THIS SOUNDS ALMOST VIOLENT, THIS SOUNDS ALMOST FORCEFUL. THAT'S NOT THE BEST WAY TO TRANSLATE IT. THIS IS NOT VIOLENT, THIS IS NOT FORCEFUL. THE TOOK HERE IS A CONTRAST. REMEMBER EARLIER WITH DAVID, EVEN THOUGH HE WAS ANOINTED KING, he would, AND HE HAD MULTIPLE OPPORTUNITIES TO KILL KING Saul, HE WOULD NOT TAKE THE KINGDOM. HE WOULD WAIT FOR GOD TO GIVE IT TO HIM, EVEN THOUGH IT WAS RIGHTFULLY HIS. DAVID IS IN THE EXACT OPPOSITE POSITION AT THIS MOMENT. HE IS TAKING A WOMAN THAT GOD HAS NOT GIVEN HIM, WHEN EARLIER IN HIS LIFE HE WOULD ONLY WAIT FOR GOD TO GIVE HIM THE KINGDOM THAT GOD HAD GIVEN HIM. HE'S GOING IN THE OPPOSITE DIRECTION. So. SHE CAME, SHE LAY, SHE RETURNED. THE IDEA OF THE BREVITY IS THAT THIS IS NOT LIKE A TIME WHERE THEY DEVELOPED A RELATIONSHIP. THIS WAS CALLED A NIGHT OF PASSION. I WANT TO MAKE SOME OBSERVATIONS ABOUT THE WAY THINGS HAPPEN. SOME OBSERVATIONS THAT MAYBE WE CAN can LEARN FROM. I WANT TO BEGIN BY SAYING THE TEXT IS VERY CLEAR. THAT DAVID IS THE ONE TO BLAME HERE. DAVID WATCHED. David lusted, David researched, and David took. But I'm not completely comfortable leaving Bathsheba off the hook as if she's a complete and total victim in this circumstance. You know, it appears to me she was sort of making herself available to him. It sort of reads between the lines that she possibly was also sexually enticing him. SHE WAS LONELY. HER HUSBAND, ALONG WITH OTHER HUSBANDS, HAD BEEN OUT OF TOWN FOR A LONG PERIOD OF TIME. SHE CHOSE TO TAKE A BATH ON THE ROOF, FROM WHICH SHE KNEW NOT... DAVID COULD SEE HER, BUT SHE ALSO KNEW THAT DAVID COULD SEE HER. BECAUSE, LIKE, YOU CAN LOOK BOTH WAYS, CAN'T YOU? AND SHE DID NOT GO OUT OF HER WAYS TO TRY TO maintain PRIVACY, TO TRY AND MAINTAIN PURITY, but she knew she would be within eyeshot of David. In addition, in Deuteronomy 22, it talks about that when a, a, a man forces himself on a woman in a city, if the woman screams, it's a case of rape. If the woman does not scream, it's assumed to be consensual between them. Did Bathsheba scream? Do we have any knowledge of her resisting? Apparently not. Now, in your life groups, I have a question. Now, you guys can think this out. What degree was Bathsheba complicit with this? While the guilt clearly is with David, it seems like Bathsheba sort of leaned into this, not leaned away from this. Deuteronomy 22. IF A MAN IS FOUND LYING WITH THE WIFE OF ANOTHER MAN, BOTH OF THEM SHALL DIE. THE MAN WHO LAY WITH THE WOMAN AND THE WOMAN, SO YOU SHALL PURGE THE EVIL FROM ISRAEL. SO BOTH OF THEM, ACTUALLY, ARE CONSIDERED GUILTY. Now THERE'S A LITTLE PARENTHETICAL STATEMENT THAT'S PUT IN HERE. IT'S RIGHT IN THE MIDDLE OF VERSE FOUR. I'LL SHOW YOU WHAT IT IS. IT SAYS, NOW SHE HAD BEEN PURIFYING HERSELF FROM HER UNCLEANNESS. THE DETAILS OF WHY SHE WAS TAKING A BATH IS THROWN IN. WHY ARE THEY THROWN IN? SHE HAD COMPLETED HER MONTHLY MENSTRUAL CYCLE. IF SHE SHOWS UP PREGNANT, WITHOUT DOUBT, DAVID IS THE FATHER. THAT'S WHAT THAT IS THROWN IN FOR. NOW, WE'RE NOT TOLD OF DAVID AND Bathsheba HAVING ADDITIONAL TIMES TOGETHER. MAYBE THEY PLAN TO KEEP THIS EVENING TO THEMSELVES. THEY CAME TO KEEP IT QUIET BUT IT TURNS OUT THEIR PLANS TO KEEP THIS WHOLE LITTLE EVENING PRIVATE WOULDN'T WORK THAT WAY IN VERSE FIVE. THEN THE WOMAN CONCEIVED, AND SHE SENT AND TOLD DAVID, 'Um, I'M PREGNANT. NOTICE HERE SHE IS DESCRIBED AS THE WOMAN CONCEIVED. SHE'S NOT THE WOMAN, SHE'S BATHSHEBA. SHE'S Eliam's LOVELY DAUGHTER. SHE'S Ahithophel's LOVELY GRANDDAUGHTER. SHE'S Uriah's BLESSED WIFE. WHY DOES IT CALL HER THE WOMAN? BECAUSE AT THIS TIME, DAVID DIDN'T SEE HER AS A DAUGHTER AND A WIFE AND A GRANDDAUGHTER. HE JUST SAW HER AS A WOMAN. HE SAW HER AS A SEXUAL OBJECT FOR HIS LUSTS, WHICH IS EXACTLY THE WRONG WAY FOR HIM TO VIEW HER. I'M GOING TO PAUSE AND JUST SAY, WHAT ARE SOME LESSONS WE CAN LEARN? I'M JUST GOING TO GIVE YOU ONE AT THIS POINT. WE'LL GET MORE AT THE END, BUT I THINK WE SHOULD POINT THIS OUT. IF A GODLY MAN LIKE DAVID CAN PURSUE AN AFFAIR, DON'T LET ME DECEIVE MYSELF BY THINKING, IT CAN NEVER HAPPEN TO ME. IF A GODLY MAN LIKE DAVID CAN END UP GOING THIS FAR FROM GOD AND PURSUING AN AFFAIR, DON'T EVER, let it th- don't ever THINK IT CAN'T HAPPEN TO ME. When I do premarital counseling, there's always one session we do, it's called, Good Fences, Make Good Neighbors. Always have, like, safeguards on what kind of things you will and won't do when you're around someone else of the opposite sex. Like, one of the safeguards is, we say, hey, don't go riding alone in a car with someone of the opposite sex that is not your spouse. That's just not wise. THAT'S JUST NOT SMART. THAT JUST TENDS TO OPEN THE DOOR FOR THOSE KIND OF OPPORTUNITIES. GOOD FENCES MAKE GOOD NEIGHBORS, AND DAVID IS NOT KEEPING A GOOD FENCE. NOW LET'S GO TO THE SECOND PART, WHICH IS CALLED THE COVER-UP. NOW THAT DAVID HAS A PROBLEM, WILL HE CONFESS THIS TO URIAH? OR WILL HE CONFESS HIS SIN TO THE NATION? LET'S FIND OUT. HE DECIDES NOT TO CONFESS, BUT HE DECIDES TO COVER. AND HE STARTS WITH PLAN A. GET URIAH TO SLEEP WITH HIS WIFE. BECAUSE IF URIAH WILL SLEEP WITH HIS WIFE, HE'LL THINK THE KID IS HIS. THE PROBLEM GOES AWAY. VERSE 6, SO DAVID SENT WORD TO JOAB, SEND ME URIAH THE HITTITE. AND JOAB SENT URIAH TO DAVID. BEFORE WE GET FURTHER INTO THE STORY, I WANT TO PAUSE AND MAKE ANOTHER SET OF OBSERVATIONS. DAVID THINKS THAT THIS IS PRIVATE. David thinks that no one else really knows what happened between him and Bathsheba other than Bathsheba. It's not private. There was at least one person who was sent by David to do a little research on who she was. There was multiple people that were sent by David to bring her to his house. There was at least one person that was sent by Bathsheba back to David to say I'm pregnant. The servants of David know about the affair of David, don't they? Do you think they were gossiping about that? Do you think the news was going around about what David and Bathsheba had done? Doesn't say it in the text, but I think that was what was happening. I've been a pastor at a church. I know how church gossip works. I mean, you can't say one thing, and, and a half hour later, everybody else knows. So I think people know What David has done. And when they go to get Uriah and they bring back Uriah, I think there's a good chance that Uriah hears, or at least hears a rumor, about something happening between his wife and David. Doesn't state it, but there's multiple hints that he's heard something. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing. AND HOW THE PEOPLE WERE DOING, AND HOW THE WAR WAS GOING, WHICH IS ALL SMALL TALK, BECAUSE DAVID REALLY DOESN'T CARE ABOUT THE ANSWER TO ANY OF THOSE THINGS. HE'S BRINGING URIAH HOME FOR A SPECIFIC REASON. THEN DAVID SAID TO URIAH, GO DOWN TO YOUR HOUSE AND WASH YOUR FEET. WASH YOUR FEET IS, HEY, WHY DON'T YOU RELAX AT YOUR HOUSE, IS WHAT YOU DO AT THE END OF THE DAY. WASH YOUR FEET, SIT WITH YOUR WIFE AND your, YOUR FAMILY AND RELAX. AND THEN WE READ, and URIAH WENT OUT OF THE KING'S HOUSE, AND THERE FOLLOWED HIM A PRESENT FROM THE KING. WHAT'S THIS PRESENT? MOST LIKELY, IT'S THE GIFT OF FOOD. IT'S CALLED A ROMANTIC DINNER FOR TWO, COURTESY OF KING DAVID. YOU SEE WHAT DAVID'S TRYING TO SET THIS UP FOR? HE THINKS, I'VE GOT THIS ONE COVERED. IT'S GOING TO GO REALLY WELL. BUT IT DIDN'T. WE READ THIS, BUT URIAH SLEPT AT THE DOOR OF THE KING'S HOUSE WITH ALL THE SERVANTS OF HIS LORD AND DID NOT GO DOWN TO HIS HOUSE. WHO KNOWS ABOUT THE AFFAIR? THE SERVANTS OF KING DAVID. WHERE DOES URIAH STAY? WITH THE SERVANTS OF KING DAVID. NOW, WHEN DAVID HEARS, THAT URIAH DID NOT GO DOWN TO SPEND TIME WITH HIS BEAUTIFUL WIFE. HE IS REALLY A LITTLE BIT UPSET ABOUT THIS. WHEN THEY TOLD DAVID, URIAH DID NOT GO DOWN TO HIS HOUSE. DAVID SAID TO URIAH, WELL, HAVE YOU NOT COME FROM A JOURNEY? WHY DID YOU NOT GO DOWN TO YOUR HOUSE? AND OF COURSE, URIAH THOUGHT, WHY ARE YOU SO CONCERNED THAT I DIDN'T GO DOWN TO SEE MY WIFE LAST NIGHT? WHY? YOU CAN SEE HOW THIS IS STARTING TO GET INTERESTING. NOW, URIAH GIVES A REASON, AND I THINK THERE'S it's A VERY INTERESTING REASON FOR WHY HE WOULDN'T GO. AND I BELIEVE THIS REASON IS TRUE, BUT I THINK THERE'S A GREAT DEAL OF CONVICTION IN THIS REASON. URIAH SAID TO DAVID, WELL, THE ARK AND ISRAEL AND JUDAH, THEY'RE DWELLING IN BOOTHS, AND MY LORD JOAB AND HIS SERVANTS OF THE LORD ARE CAMPING IN THE OPEN FIELD. SHALL I THEN GO TO MY HOUSE? and?" eat, to drink, and to uh, lie with my wife. Well, where did that come out? Nobody said about lying to your wife. Why do you put this in here? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. You know, I'm a commander, Uriah says, of the soldiers, and my soldiers are going through deprivation. They're going through hard times. They're out in the fields. I would be a bad leader if I went to lie with my wife at this time. (coughs) Like, David, where should you be? IN THE FIELD, WITH THE SOLDIERS. YOU'RE NOT LYING WITH YOUR WIFE. YOU'VE BEEN LYING WITH MY WIFE. LITTLE CONVICTION THERE, ISN'T IT? URIAH IS A MAN OF BETTER CHARACTER THAN DAVID. WELL, PLAN A DIDN'T WORK. AND URIAH SAID THERE'S NO WAY HE WOULD SLEEP WITH HIS WIFE, SO IT'S TIME FOR PLAN B. GET URIAH DRUNK. DAVID SAID TO URIAH, REMAIN HERE TODAY ALSO, AND TOMORROW I WILL SEND YOU BACK. SO URIAH REMAINED IN JERUSALEM THAT DAY AND THE NEXT. AND DAVID INVITED HIM, AND HE ATE IN HIS PRESENCE, AND HE DRANK, SO THAT HE MADE HIM DRUNK. IN THE EVENING, HE WENT OUT TO LIE ON HIS COUCH WITH THE SERVANTS OF HIS LORD, BUT HE DID NOT GO DOWN TO HIS HOUSE. DAVID FIGURES, you know, THERE'S PLENTY OF PEOPLE OUT THERE. THEY GET SO DRUNK, THEY WAKE UP THE NEXT MORNING WITH A PERSON IN BED THEY'VE NEVER MET BEFORE. We'll just get Uriah so drunk that he'll go down to be with his wife. He'll wake up. Even if nothing happens, he won't have any memory of it. And when he finds out that she's pregnant, he'll think something did happen. This is perfect. Great setup. Just get him drunk. But Uriah is a better man drunk than David actually is sober. You notice that? He refuses to go down to his wife. Plan A didn't work, Plan B didn't work. Time for plan C. It's called the murder. Plan C is to kill Uriah. In the morning, David sent a letter to Joab, and he sent it by the hands of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him that that he may be struck down and die. Think of this. DAVID IS MAKING ONE OF HIS BEST AND MOST LOYAL SOLDIERS CARRY HIS OWN LETTER OF ASSASSINATION. AND NOT BECAUSE URIAH HAS DONE ANYTHING WRONG. URIAH IS A MAN OF INCREDIBLE, UPSTANDING, AND GODLY CHARACTER, BUT IT'S ALL FOR DAVID TRYING TO COVER HIS OWN SINS. AND DAVID, IN THE DESPERATION OF THE MOMENT, if YOU LOOK AT THIS PLAN, IT'S REALLY A PRETTY DUMB PLAN. Like GET EVERYBODY UP THERE, AND THEN HAVE EVERYBODY BUT URIAH DRAW BACK, AND THEN HE'LL DIE. LIKE, HOW DO YOU DO THAT? TELL EVERYBODY IN THE ARMY BUT URIAH THAT WE'RE GOING TO ASSASSINATE HIM AND FRAME HIM? LIKE, THAT'S NOT GOING TO WORK. BUT DAVID IS DESPERATE AT THIS MOMENT. EARLIER WE HAD SEEN THAT THE AMMONITES HAD HELD UP IN THEIR CAPITAL CITY OF RABBAH. TYPICALLY WHAT WOULD WORK MILITARILY AT THIS POINT, IS THE BESIEGING ARMY, WHICH WOULD BE THE ISRAELITES, THEY WOULD NOT BE ATTACKING, THEY WOULD BE STARVING THEM OUT. YOU CUT OFF THE FOOD, YOU CUT OFF THE WATER FROM THE CITY, AND EVENTUALLY WHEN EVERYBODY GETS HUNGRY, WHEN EVERYBODY GETS THIRSTY, THEY GIVE UP AND THEY COME OUT. BUT IF YOU ATTACK THE CITY, WHICH IS WELL FORTIFIED, THAT'S A SUICIDE MISSION. YOU WOULDN'T DO THAT. AND THIS IS WHAT WE READ. AS JOAB WAS BESIEGING THE CITY, HE ASSIGNED JARIAH TO THE PLACE WHERE HE KNEW there. WERE VALIANT MEN. AND THE MEN OF THE CITY CAME OUT AND FOUGHT WITH JOAB, AND SOME OF THE SERVANTS OF DAVID AMONG THE PEOPLE FELL. URIAH THE HITTITE ALSO DIED. JOAB KNOWS HE HAS TO BUMP URIAH OFF, SO HE DECIDES TO ATTACK THE CITY WHEN THEY SHOULD BE WAITING TO STARVE OUT THE CITY. HE PUTS URIAH AND OTHER MEN IN A REALLY TOUGH POSITION, AND JOAB DOES IT IN SUCH A WAY, SO IT'S NOT JUST URIAH THAT DIES, BUT IT'S OTHER MEN THAT DIE AS WELL TO SORT OF CAMOUFLAGE URIAH'S DEATH. SO THINK ABOUT THIS. SIN IS LIKE A SNOWBALL. IF YOU DON'T CONFESS IT, IT JUST GETS BIGGER, IT JUST GETS WORSE, AND MORE PEOPLE GET CAUGHT UP IN IT. BECAUSE OF DAVID'S SIN, NOT JUST URIAH DIES, BUT MULTIPLE OTHER MEN DIE IN HIS ATTEMPT TO COVER THE SIN. THEN JOAB SENT AND TOLD DAVID ALL THE NEWS ABOUT THE FIGHTING. AND HE INSTRUCTED THE MESSENGER, NOW WHEN YOU FINISH TELLING ALL THE NEWS ABOUT THE FIGHTING TO THE KING, THEN, IF THE KING'S ANGER ARISES, IF HE SAYS TO YOU, LIKE, WHY DID YOU GO SO NEAR TO THE CITY TO FIGHT? DID YOU NOT KNOW THAT THEY WOULD SHOOT FROM THE WALLS? WHO KILLED Abimelech, THE SON OF JERUBASHESH? DID NOT A WOMAN CAST AN UPPER MILLSTONE ON HIM FROM THE WALL, SO THAT HE DIED AT Thebes?" WHY DID YOU GO SO NEAR TO THE WALL? (laughs) THEN YOU SHALL SAY, UM, YOUR SERVANT URIAH THE HITTITE IS DEAD ALSO. JOAB KNOWS THAT when NEWS OF THIS SUICIDAL, SILLY, FOOLISH MILITARY MANEUVER OF ATTACKING THE CITY IN A PLACE WHERE ITS STRONGEST IS HEARD ABOUT BY DAVID, DAVID'S GOING TO BE UPSET AND LIKE, WHAT DO YOU THINK YOU'RE DOING? THAT'S SO STUPID. HE SAID, OH, BY THE WAY, JUST TELL HIM URIAH DIED. THAT'S THE REASON WE MADE THIS FOOLISH CHOICE. SO THE MESSENGER CAME AND TOLD DAVID ALL THAT JOAB HAD SENT HIM TO TELL. THE MESSENGER SAID TO DAVID, THE MEN GAINED AN ADVANTAGE OVER US AND CAME OUT AGAINST US IN THE FIELD, BUT WE DROVE THEM BACK TO THE ENTRANCE OF THE GATE. THEN THE ARCHER SHOT AT YOUR SERVANTS FROM THE WALL, AND SOME OF YOUR king's SERVANTS ARE DEAD, AND YOUR SERVANT URIAH THE Hittite <clears throat> IS DEAD ALSO. AND DAVID SAID TO THE MESSENGER, THUS YOU SHALL SAY TO JOAB, WELL, DON'T LET THIS MATTER DISPLEASE YOU, FOR THE SWORD DEVOURS NOW ONE AND NOW ANOTHER. STRENGTHEN YOUR ATTACK AGAINST THE CITY AND OVERTHROW IT, AND JUST ENCOURAGE HIM. I THOUGHT THIS IS INTERESTING. URIAH, ONE OF HIS MIGHTY MEN, TOP 37 IN THE ARMY, HE DIES, AND IS DAVID UPSET ABOUT IT? NOT GRIEVING. NO SENSE OF REMORSE, NO SENSE OF REPENTANCE, LIKE, OH, OH, WELL, that JUST HAPPENS IN WAR. WHEN SAUL AND JONATHAN DIED, WHO WERE DAVID'S ENEMIES, HE DECLARED A DAY OF NATIONAL MOURNING. REMEMBER THAT? BUT NOW THERE IS NO MOURNING WHATSOEVER ON DAVID'S PART, BECAUSE HIS PROBLEM IS SOLVED. URIAH IS GONE. NOW, WHEN THE WIFE OF URIAH HEARD THAT URIAH, HER HUSBAND, WAS DEAD, SHE LAMENTED OVER HER HUSBAND. By the way, do you think she knew that this was a hit job? I think she did. I'll tell you why. She knew that her husband had been told to sleep with her, and he refused. She knew that David had her her husband drunk to go sleep with her, and he refused. He returns to the battle lines, and right after that, he dies in a really dumb military maneuver. She knew this was a hit job, to bump her husband off TO COVER DAVID'S SIN. AND WHEN THE MORNING WAS OVER, DAVID SENT AND BROUGHT HER TO HIS HOUSE, AND SHE BECAME HIS WIFE AND BORE HIM A SON. A LOT THAT READS QUICKLY, BUT THINK ABOUT THIS. THE mourning PERIOD WAS SEVEN DAYS. SEVEN DAYS, OR SHORTLY THEREAFTER, HER HUSBAND'S DEATH, SHE INSTANTLY MARRIES THE KING. HOW MANY LADIES WOULD LIKE TO MARRY A NEW MAN ONLY A WEEK AFTER YOUR HUSBAND DIES? A LITTLE WEIRD? A LITTLE STRANGE? I would think so. And at this point, it's not nine months from now, but it's definitely shorter than nine months. And when she has a child, because she shows up miraculously pregnant, instantly pregnant, do you think people in the city are starting to do the math? Like she married David only seven days after her husband died, but then a few months later ends up giving birth? Yeah, this doesn't quite add up. DAVID THINKS HE HAS THIS ALL COVERED, PROBLEM SOLVED. BUT THE SERVANTS IN DAVID'S HOUSE KNOW ABOUT THE AFFAIR. JOAB KNOWS ABOUT THE AFFAIR. Bathsheba, OF COURSE, KNOWS THAT URIAH WAS BUMPED OFF ON PURPOSE. AND THEN THE ENTIRE NATION, AS THEY START TO DO THE MATH, AND THEY SEE THE SEQUENCE OF EVENTS, THINGS ARE NOT ADDING UP. BUT MOST IMPORTANTLY, THERE IS ONE OTHER PERSON THAT KNOWS EVERYTHING THAT'S HAPPENED. IT'S THE PERSON THAT HAS NOT BEEN MENTIONED IN THIS CHAPTER UP TO THIS POINT. BECAUSE DAVID THINKS HE'S ESCAPED THE ALL-SEEING AND THE ALL-KNOWING EYES OF GOD, AND HE HASN'T. IT ENDS WITH THIS, BUT THE THING THAT DAVID HAD DONE DISPLEASED THE LORD. BOY, THAT'S AN understatement. HE WAS WATCHING THE WHOLE TIME. NOW, WILL DAVID REPENT? What suffering and discipline will God bring into his life at this point? Um, what does the future hold for him? Those questions are questions we're going to get to next week. But before we leave, I put down a number of applications that we sort of ran across as we went through the text. Let me just bring those to you. Number one David's downfall reminds us nobody is immune to temptation, especially sexual temptation. SO REMEMBER I SAID, KEEP GOOD FENCES. GOOD FENCES KEEP GOOD NEIGHBORS. IF DAVID CAN FALL, WE CAN FALL. NUMBER TWO, LITTLE SINS WE NURTURE TODAY BECOME THE BIG SINS OF TOMORROW. REMEMBER, DAVID HAS NOT LEARNED AND PRACTICED SEXUALLY DENYING HIMSELF, BUT IN HIS EARLIER YEARS, HE'S PRACTICED SEXUALLY INDULGING HIMSELF. NUMBER THREE, idleness LEAVES US VULNERABLE TO TEMPTATION. DAVID WAS NOT DOING HIS JOB. HE WAS ABSENT FROM HIS WORK. I LIKE THIS ONE. IT'S ALWAYS BETTER TO JUST AVOID TEMPTATION THAN NEEDING TO RESIST TEMPTATION. NUMBER FOUR, FLEE SEXUAL IMMORALITY. SAVORING TEMPTATION LIKE DAVID DID WHEN HE LOOKED OVER HIS BALCONY LEADS TO GIVING IN TO TEMPTATION. REMEMBER, BOUNCE YOUR EYES, FLEE AND RUN. NUMBER FIVE, SIN IS NEVER PRIVATE. OUR SINS MAY BE PARTIALLY KNOWN BY PEOPLE. BUT THEY ARE ALWAYS FULLY KNOWN BY GOD. WE NEVER SIN IN SECRET. NUMBER SIX, UNLESS WE REPENT AND CONFESS OUR SIN, REMEMBER IT'S LIKE A SNOWBALL, REMEMBER I TALKED ABOUT THAT? IT ALWAYS LEADS JUST TO MORE SIN. NUMBER SEVEN, SIN ALWAYS LEADS TO SUFFERING. IT NEVER LEADS TO JOY. AND THEN LASTLY IS THIS, THIS IS NOT JUST A STORY OF GREAT SINFULNESS, IT'S A STORY OF GOD'S FANTASTIC GRACE. WHERE IS their GRACE IN THIS CHAPTER? IN 1 SAMUEL chapter 7, VERSE 16, GOD PROMISED THAT HE WOULD BRING HIS ETERNAL KINGDOM, WHICH IS THE KINGDOM OF JESUS CHRIST, THROUGH DAVID. UP TO THIS POINT, DAVID HAS SEEMED LIKE A VERY MUCH WORTHY CANDIDATE OF THAT. HE'S BEEN DOING THINGS REALLY WELL. BUT DAVID'S NOW A MURDERER. DAVID'S NOW AN ADULTERER. HE'S NOW A TERRIBLE, TERRIBLE MAN. YOU WOULD THINK AT THIS POINT, GOD WOULD SAY, I'M JUST DONE WITH YOU. I'M NOT GOING TO KEEP MY PROMISE WITH YOU. BUT, FOLKS, THIS IS THE AMAZING PART. GOD WILL STILL KEEP HIS PROMISE TO DAVID AND BRING HIS ETERNAL KINGDOM THROUGH HIM, EVEN THOUGH HE DOES NOT DESERVE IT AT ALL. God is incredibly gracious to David in spite of his sin. This morning, you may have come in here, and as we went through this story, you found yourself identifying with David. Yeah, I've made some really good choices, but I've also made some really sinful choices in my life, some really sinful sexual choices in my life, and now I'm paying for my sins. I'm suffering for my sins. And you wonder, God, can you ever use me Maybe, God, after what I've done, you're completely done with me. This chapter is a resounding reminder that even when we are unfaithful to God, he will never turn his back on us. He will keep his good promises to us and fulfill his good purposes for us in spite of our sins and in spite of our failings. So even though this chapter is filled with all kinds of wickedness and ugliness of David's sin, as we look over the panoramic picture of this book and of the Bible itself, God stayed faithful and gave his graciousness and kindness to David when he did not deserve it at all. And folks, God will still be faithful to us and he will still achieve his good purposes for us even when we fail miserably, sin spectacularly, and we deserve none of his grace, goodness, and kindness. That's the amazing God we have. Heavenly Father, thank you for being so faithful to David when he was unfaithful to you. Thank you for not uh, throwing away your purposes for David when he deserved to just be done away with for the terrible things he had done. And I thank you for the reminder from this text that even when you would fully deserve to turn your back on us, we know you won't. You will be faithful to us even when we are not to you. You will fulfill your purposes for us even when we have sinned. And because of that, we have great hope at the great loving kindness of our God. And all God's people said, amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.